This podcast is not here for those people that are trying to stay out of last place. Because those consequences don't exist for the people that are listening to this podcast. These are the people that always end up in the playoffs but can't seem to get over that hump. Or the ones who just want to dominate year after year just to show everybody else they're the champions. Guys, this is a fantasy football intervention. And we're about to intervene with your fantasy football life. Say it, don't say it, don't say it, please, don't say it. God, every time I hear it, my stomach gets tied up in knots. Ah, man, there might not be a 2020 NFL. I I can't say it, I can't say it, I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to say it. They canceled the Hall of Fame game, bummer. Players coming down with COVID, it's like my worst nightmare is happening. Not having a 2020 season just, God, tears my, my mind apart. I hate it. I hate the thought of it. Opening up back right now. Everything's getting back to normal, right? Or at least we thought it was. And we should expect football to resume. But there are a ton, a ton of concerns surrounding this NFL 2020 season. And understandably so. The health of the sport we love so much is at risk. It's a bummer. It's disappointing. However, you do have to realize that we are dealing with moguls of multiple industries. These guys who own NFL teams, they're not new to issues. They're not new to this. They have built companies from the ground up. They deal with issues every single day. Yes, this one is a pretty damn big issue. I understand that. But you have to, you have to realize that these guys have found ways to maintain success, or even create success from nothing. They're going to do it again with this sport. I really believe that. I honestly believe that. And it was kind of funny. I was listening to Colin Coward the other day, not because I agree with everything he says, but I listened to it to get my mind thinking, because he does pose some great, great questions. Don't always agree with his views. But this one, I don't know if he quoted it. I don't remember if he quoted it or not, or if he uh, came up with it himself. But either way, he said something that, that really interested me. We don't solve things like mental illness. We just manage them. We try to find the best way possible to manage issues. Just because we can't solve something doesn't mean that it can't be managed and essentially made best for everybody involved. As long as the player's best interests are the priority, and we find a, a, a way to get around that, we find a way to manage their best interests, then there's going to be an NFL season. And I think a lot of players want to play in the NFL this upcoming season. I really do. There's a lot of money laying out there for not only the owners, but the players as well. Keep in mind too, the players know about the salary cap situations. They know that if the NFL doesn't bring in money, then they can't make more money in the future. So yeah, I think the players definitely, definitely want to play. And honestly, the the NFL right now, I bet you anything that they wish that the XFL did not fold. Think about it. The NFL could have somehow integrated 
NFL players, or I'm sorry, XFL players and in the NFLPA and their agreements, and they could have had a contingency plan right there in front of them. Right? They divide up eight teams, allowing four teams from the NFL to directly correlate to an XFL team. And you could end up picking up players from that team knowing, knowing that they're staying in shape while getting ready for the XFL season. Right? That'd be pretty cool. It would be. It would be pretty much a farming system like, the, like baseball uses. It'd be pretty cool. You just have four teams, each from a different division. That way they're not you know, too competitive. They can't be playing against each other, but they still have the same interests. Now, you would have to limit the players that each team could pick up at a certain position. So that way you can't have a team hoarding everybody. But still, that would be pretty damn cool, right? God, I just love that concept. Obviously, you'd have to have a little bit extra money thrown in from the NFL or other sponsors in order for this to happen for the players because you are talking about more practices, you know, more involvement with the teams, but still, it could happen. It could happen. NFL teams can sign scouts or coaches to spend time with those players during the workouts. You know who you're dealing with. I just think that would be sick. That'd be awesome. And I'm not sure the exact science of how they would work it out. I'm just saying that the NFL could have essentially saved the XFL if they didn't already fold. And maybe there's some work going on behind the scenes. Maybe something like that could happen. And we're talking about, you know, billions and billions of dollars eventually trading hands, however they decide to do that. But still, it could have happened. Now, somebody brought up to me, you know, why don't the NFL or why doesn't the NFL use a farming system? Why is that already not a thing? And in my belief, it's because you're talking about pennies on the dollar, essentially. You're talking about not making enough money to deal with the issues that the NFL has to deal with. I mean, you're talking about concussion issues. You're talking about issues behind the scenes. You're talking about how one little tiny farming franchise could change the view because of one thing being said about a multi-million dollar or billion dollar, I should say, NFL team. And to make an extra million a year, that the NFL owners don't care about that. They don't care about that. There would not be enough money driven for the NFL owners to get their hands dirty in that aspect. But if you take a separate organization and you don't affiliate that organization with an NFL team, or you don't affiliate one of these smaller teams with a bigger team, then you don't have to worry about the accountability that you would if you were actually directly correlated with a smaller organization or a smaller team. Does that make sense? I'll break it down for you real quick. If Johnny got a concussion, right, while getting paid $250,000 a year, and he wanted to go off and sue the XFL, sure, he might get, you know, 50 grand. But if Johnny, who plays for the XFL, and his team is owned by an NFL team, wants to go sue the NFL for his concussion issues since they own the XFL or whatever farming system you don't want to call it, then he could go after them for multi-million dollars, like $10 million, $15 million, $20 million. He could go after them for <laughs> extensionally, extensionally more money. And I don't know that I'm not a lawyer, so maybe I'm incorrect, but I've talked to some of the other analysts who are closer to this, who are closer to this aspect of things, and that's the information that I've gotten. So I'm passing it on to you, whether it's right or wrong. I'm not sure. I'm not a lawyer. But that's why we don't have a farming system in place. But if we could have had the XFL, if we could have had the XFL, God, 
there would have been a contingency plan that was already in place for them to bring in more players. Now, what I'm concerned about, what I'm concerned about is how they're going to deal with three, four, five, six, seven players on a team all getting the coronavirus at the same time. Right? Because their, their whole team is going to end up being sick potentially. God, that's a scary thought. I just had to sit back and think about it. That is scary. What are they going to do? I mean, think about a quarterback room. All these guys pretty much like live together during the season. I mean, not literally, but figuratively, they're around each other probably close to, what, 10, 15 hours a day? They're all throwing the ball together. They're all going over the game plan together. They're all looking at the same piece of paper. They're all huddled up. What if one quarterback gets it? All three or two quarterbacks or however many on the rosters, they're all going to get it because they're all so tight-knit. I mean, maybe my, my viewpoint changes. Maybe it does in like a month from now. I'm not locking it in because we do have experts who know a lot more than I do about what's going on. They're getting paid a lot, a lot of money to try and figure this out. So, hey, maybe it doesn't end up happening the way, I guess, worst case scenario in my mind actually projects. You know, maybe it doesn't happen that way. Hopefully it doesn't. Really, I hope it doesn't. So I may change my viewpoint on this. However, I'm just imagining right now. I'm just imagining right now what all the fantasy experts are going to say. God, man. What are they going to say when season comes, right? When they start getting into the talk and Corona is really a threat. What are they going to say? You have to cuff your players. You got to cuff them. You got Chris McCaffrey. You got to cuff them with Bonifin. You got to cuff them. Right? That's what we're going to hear. Man, there's a chance that he could miss four weeks. You got to cuff him. You could lose your whole season. Honestly, I don't think that's the case. Hell, we don't even know who the cuffs are most, most of the time. We don't know how those handcuffs are going to perform. I mean, think about it with Teddy Bridgewater, right? Teddy Bridgewater came in for Drew Brees as the handcuff, right? And he only had two quarterback one performances the entire time. He had one of the most prolific offenses in the NFL and only had two quarterback one performances. Did you really want McKissick or Ty Johnson from that, that Lions backfield when Carrion Johnson went down? Did you really want that as a handcuff? What do you really want to handcuff? I think the difference between the people that are going to win championships this upcoming year are going to be the guys that don't handcuff. I think it's going to be guys that actually spread the love around to different running backs on different teams. I think it's also going to be the guys that don't spend a significant amount of money on the waiver wire early in the season. You know, just take the lumps as they come. Typically, when people handcuff, they're choosing to forego production from a superior player in order to secure the starting running back for that team. Right? Think about it. For example, Joshua Kelly is not a handcuff for, for Austin Eckler. He has standalone value. However, if Eckler goes down, Kelly could see an uptick or an increased workload. See more fantasy points. Joshua Kelly, a, a technical handcuff, the handcuff on that team is, of course, going to be Justin Jackson. He would, well, I assume that he would take over for Eckler in that role. So if you sit there and you decide to handcuff Eckler, right, with Justin Jackson, I don't think that's a smart move this season. You have to take Eckler. He's what, second round? Then you get Justin Jackson. He's being taken at overall 137. You might decide, ah, 
What if Eckler gets COVID? Yada, yada, yada. He's my first running back. Oh my God, I'm going to freak out. I got to take Justin Jackson to 137. Meanwhile, you're passing on guys like Preston Williams, the number one receiver on the Miami Dolphins while he was healthy. Christian Kirk, the number two receiver on a hopefully dynamic offense. There are so many guys that you're passing up of because you want to go reach for your handcuff with Justin Jackson. All because what the experts are saying is a safe move. It's safe to get the handcuff just in case he gets covered for four weeks. You don't want to lose your league. I can see it now. It's like a dream. I can see it. I can tell the future and what they're going to say. Don't fucking do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Listen, quarterbacks might be a little bit different. They might keep them relatively, you know, scattered away from each other, at least in the meetings and whatnot. But when you talk about running backs, they're all going to be hanging out together for the most part. First off, they're a dime a dozen. For the ones in committees, oh my God, they're even cheaper. So what I'm going to end up doing and what I advise you guys to do is to stop drafting wide receivers at this point. And I'll tell you why in a second, but start drafting running backs in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth rounds, even later in those rounds. They could see opportunity with everything going on and don't draft the guys on the same team. I don't want the handcuffs. If one guy gets it, there's a good chance that everybody else is going to have it. So what I'm going to do, like I said, is I'm going to draft guys like Mostert and guys like Singletary, right? Guys like Matt Breida. Guys that are, are relatively cheap, yet still attainable, after I even draft the, the, the studs. I'm still going running back in the first two, three rounds. Don't get me wrong. But I'm still going to keep pounding away at running back even before I get wide receivers. Wide receivers are so deep this year. So deep. Like I said, Preston Williams, the number one receiver from Miami, was going right around, I think, like, what, 130? It's like the 11th round. The wide receiver class is insanely, insanely deep this year. Just try it. Just try and go into a mock draft. Go draft running back for like, I don't know, six of your first 10 picks. I'm not even kidding you. Go draft running back like, yeah, six of your first 10 picks and just see how your team looks afterwards. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Either way. If one of your running backs gets COVID or if somebody else's running back gets COVID, you now have trade assets. Meanwhile, if a wide receiver gets COVID, it doesn't really matter because there's going to be so many on the waiver wire that are going to get an opportunity to step up. I think the last position, the last position that's going to see an influx of COVID cases is going to be the wide receiver. They're isolated on the outside for half the time. They don't come in contact with the offensive linemen. They don't come in contact with the tight ends. Don't come in contact with the defensive lineman in most cases. Now, sure, they could touch the ball, the same ball that everybody else is touching to an extent, but they're wearing gloves, baby. They're wearing gloves. Now, like I said, my viewpoints can change on this entirely. When we come and we get close to the season, we start seeing the health regulations that are enforced in, in the NFL and throughout games. But I'm just saying, think about it. You could end up trying to handcuff a guy later in the rounds, like grabbing Justin Jackson to Austin Eckler. So that way you can be safe, but you're going to feel really, really dumb when Austin Eckler turns out to have COVID and then his backup Justin Jackson did too. Meanwhile, you just wasted draft capital and you don't have a running back now. This is not the year to handcuff, especially if you're doing it for reasons of COVID. 
It's not the year. Just saying. Now, something else I might be altering with this, you know, questions going on is instead of going after like a stud tight end, you know, drafting a a tight end in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, whatever it is, I'm going to try and grab two tight ends late, right? Let's just say like a Johnny Smith and Nerf Smith Jr. You want to use two Smiths? No, we'll go like Johnny Smith and Austin Hooper. That works, right? Johnny Smith, Austin Hooper, even Hayden Hurst, who I love, but we're going to bring him up later. Hopefully, you should have two guys in which you can start each week that are like middle-of-the-pack values, if not even above that. Very rarely do we see a starting tight end get hurt and the replacement come in and produce at a high-end level, so it's useless. It's useless to try and, I don't know, handcuff, handcuff Kelsey or Kittle or one of those guys. And it's useless to try and play the tight end on the waiver wire as their replacement. It really is. There are obviously tiers when it comes to the tight end position. But, and I'm not debating that, by the way. But after about tight end 15 or so, there's a goose egg that is waiting to be had for a lot of these tight ends. I don't want that. I don't need a tight end. I don't need a tight end to win me a week. Just don't lose me a week. And if you try to place all your eggs in one basket by going after a tight end early, and the tight end who, by the way, is in contact constantly, Constantly with almost every single position on the field. (laughs) You could end up being shit out of luck after going and spending a second or a third round pick on a tight end. This is not the year to do it. It's not the year. You're talking about falling out of contention completely. And honestly, with everything going on, there's a good chance that the tight ends could contract COVID. Meanwhile, you have nobody else in the waiver wire because everybody else already picked up guys because their tight end got hurt. So now you're just shit out of luck. You're stuck with the replacement of George Kittle. Meanwhile, you're just piling up goose eggs. Piling up goose eggs. Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram are the only tight ends that finish in the top 20 playing less than 13 games. You need volume in order for a tight end to produce. You need volume. And you're going to end up wasting a roster spot from week to week if you end up going after him too early. Hell, I'm sitting here looking at the charts right now, and Austin Hooper was the only one to finish as a tight end one with 13 games played itself. And his season was, was remarkable. I mean, they're saying right now that they want a four-week window if a player contracts COVID before he can come back and play in the games, not only to make sure that you know, he's not sick anymore, to make sure that his health issues are up to par, you know, that he's back in shape. So I, just, I would rather grab a two tight ends that are, are later in the draft and play them in week to week almost as a streaming option then go after a tight end early and and you're talking to a guy by the way that streams tight ends from week to week i like to play the waiver wire i just don't think there's going to be a waiver wire available by like week six week seven week eight i don't think there's gonna be any tight ends left i'd rather be cautious and in my draft or before the season starts try and grab two legitimate tight ends who could finish in the top 15 rather play those matchups I think the biggest thing that's going to separate teams, at least in your league, between the guys that, that win championships and the guys that end up falling off and fall short later in the season are the guys that freak out over COVID. They didn't prep right. Now they're freaking out. They're trying to save face. They're, scra- they're scratching their claw and they're trying to fight their way back. And they're just throwing money away. Maybe they just got a little unlucky. Either way, they are throwing their money away. They're hitting the waiver wires hard, baby. Hard as shit, right? Throwing out 15% fab and 20% of their fab around just, you know, by week four, week five. 
It's just too much. It's too much. As long as you're staying competitive, you need to wait. You need to pump the brakes, baby. Pump the brakes. There's a chance that the season goes on, right? And more and more players will continue, continue to just throw money away, throw money away, throw money away, right? There's a chance that that more players continue to get it. So guess what? More money being thrown away. More money being thrown away. All this fab is just going to, to exit everybody's pockets. You're going to be the only one with any fab left because everybody spent it on, on the waiver wire players for COVID. Right? This is what you've been saving for. This is what you've been saving for. In week eight, I don't know. You got CMC that actually goes down with a torn ACL. And now you're the only one with anything more than 50 fab, bit, uh, fab dollars. You go get Reggie Bonifant for 51. Maybe not that much, but still. You have DeAndre Hopkins, right? Andy Isabella's waiting there in the wa- waiver wires. Meanwhile, you're the only one with, with $25, and it's week 15. You go through 21 at it. Just don't go freak out because your player got COVID. I mean, there's a chance that they're only isolated for two weeks. We don't know yet. We don't know. But to go throw a, a good portion of your fab at players who are going to miss four weeks at a time, that's not good strategy. These players are not good. They're not seeing the field for a reason. So for you to go chase pipe dreams that are going to last for three or four weeks isn't ideal. Save your money, baby. Save your money. That's going to separate you, and you're going to put yourself in a great position towards the tail end of the season to make a significant run. And now, <laughs> now you're sitting there in week 12, and your competitors have no money, your main competition, and you're picking off their people so they can't get the replacements. God, it would be so much fun. So much fun. Just play it cool, honey bun. Just play it cool. Be cool. Right? And join Patreon while you're at it. Patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. Patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. You can actually get there because we got a brand new link in our description. Yeah. Go down to the description of the episode and click on the link. It's going to bring you over and you can see all of our platforms right there. That means I don't have to go through them all. Yeah, just go down to the description of this episode, right? Go to the description and you're going to see a link. You're going to click on that link and it's going to bring you and it's going to show you all of our platforms. It's really fucking cool. And then you're going to go to a click Patreon. You're going to go join our circle. It's two bucks a month. Two bucks a month and I'll answer all your questions. I'll do whatever you want. Plus you get inside information constantly. You get some of my other episodes. You get my articles early. My articles. Did I say articles correctly? Patreon.com slash fantasy intervention or just go to the description and click on the link. Click on that link, baby. And while I was doing, doing some research, doing some research for one of my articles that I wrote, I found something pretty cool the other day. Pretty damn cool. I put it up on Patreon. Gave you guys uh, on Patreon a head start. Then I put it on Twitter a couple days after that. And I'm now telling you guys on the podcast. Yeah. Listen, Cousins had... 51 attempted passes in the red zone in 2019. Since taking over as the head coach of the Texans in 2006, Kubiak only had two years with less than 51 attempts. It's 49 and 50. During that time, his average during that 11-year span since taking over for the Texans, as a, as a play caller, he averaged out 72.8 red zone passing attempts per game. 
That's 21, almost 20, 22 more passing attempts per game in the red zone than what Cousins attempted last year. Woo! That's fire. That is straight fire. It's actually really funny because he hit 69 like three or four times. Yeah, Gary Kubiak, that is. But anyways, Gary Kubiak's now taking over the offense, and the offense isn't going to change a lot, but the play calling might. It probably will. There's going to be 20 additional red zone targets to go around at least. At least. Plus, we had Stefan Diggs. He's vacating five red zone targets. There are 25 red zone targets. Well, 27 if we want to average that out, but I'm going to go with 25 and make numbers easy to go around this upcoming year, assuming that Gary Kubiak just hits his average. Thielen saw six red zone targets in his six games before he got hurt. So obviously, let's just say that we double that, right? That can make Adam Thielen a steal. A steal. If he can stay healthy, if he can stay healthy, that's a big if, but if he can stay healthy, I think that Adam Thielen is an absolute steal right now, and people aren't even realizing it because he's getting up there in age. He had double-digit points in all but one game before getting hurt. He had a touchdown in four out of his six games. If he sees two red zone targets per game instead of one because of the increase, we could see his touchdowns go from six last year up to 12 pretty easily. 12 touchdowns. That's not out of the realm of possibilities. The wide receiver saw 21 red zone targets for the Vikings, and the tight end position saw 21 as well. If we assume that Jefferson won't be as trust in the red zone, and Kubiak passes 20 more times, like we talked about, we'll now just assume that the wide receiver position sees 26 red zone targets, and the tight ends see 31. Five more can go to the running backs. Irv Smith is going to be relevant, folks. He's going to be relevant. Get him now. Go get Irv Smith now. Adam Thielen, steal. Irv Smith, steal. Even Kyle Rudolph, steal. We talked about earlier how you got to pair up two tight ends. Kyle Rudolph would be a perfect guy to pair up with a guy like Hayden Hurst or something along those lines. Kyle Rudolph is the perfect late round tight end to grab. He's not even being drafted in some drafts. That's crazy to me. He's not even being drafted. Get him, get Irv Smith, get Adam Thielen now if you're trying to win. Hell, even if you're not trying to win, Irv Smith Jr. needs to be, needs to be picked up. You need to go after him. You need to go grab him if you're in Dynasty Leagues. You need to. You have to. You have to. He is going to approach that next tier of value this upcoming offseason, and he's almost going to be unattainable. You're going to pay too much for him. You need to find these guys before the value hits. I've talked about him too much. I'm going to move on. I want to talk about Hayden Hurst. He's in the same offense as Austin Hooper. Hooper was the tight end one by over 30 points. 30 points before getting hurt in week nine. 30 points. Hurst just signed a multi-year contract in a Dirk Cotter-led offense that runs from the inside out. Even while missing time, Hooper saw 18 red zone targets. That's insane. That's insane. Listen, Hurst is a good player. He was seventh in points per route run while being third. The third tight end on his team. Let's just say that he's even a a shell of Austin Hooper. He's just a shell, right? He's not nearly as productive as Austin Hooper was. I don't believe that to be true, but let's just say he is. 
if we regress Hooper's production in the time that he was healthy and then say that Hayden Hurst gets 1.2 red zone targets per game instead of 1.4, with his 0.3 touchdown rate on red zone targets, you're still talking 0.4 touchdowns a game. That would put him at 6.4 touchdowns over 16 games. 6.4 touchdowns. Hooper still had almost 800 yards receiving in those 13 games that he played. So let's just say that Hurst only gets to 700. He still finishes as a top five tight end in 16 games when you extrapolate the yards that Austin Hooper got and the tight ends, and then you regress it. Even if Hurst gets to only 700 yards, he still finishes as a top five tight end in 16 games. Let's say he only gets to 600. Finishes as a top seven tight end. Since coaching the Falcons in 2012, Dirk Cotter has only had one season where he didn't target the tight end position at least 100 times. What? That's insane. His primary tight end has seen 75 targets or more in all but three seasons. That is, <laughs> that's just bonkers to me. Bonkers. Did I just say bonkers? I think I did. Oh my God, what am I doing? Anyways, O.J. Howard was one of them when he only played 10 games, and he still saw 49 targets. Austin Safarian Jenkins, when he only played 7 games, saw 39 targets. And Toy Lolo, who was in his second year in the NFL and is a blocking tight end. Guess what? Toy Lolo never saw more than 24 targets in a season after that. And he had 54 targets that year. That's crazy. He never had more than 24 targets the entire rest of his career. And he had 54 that year. That's insane. I love it. I love it. Love it. I love Dirk Cotter's tight ends. That's seven out of eight years that he would have had a tight end with over 75 targets if both Austin Sparian Jenkins and OJ Howard stayed healthy. Hurst is going to eat. I'm telling you guys right now, Hurst is going to eat. He's going to eat. Those guys you need to go get your hands on. Now, there's a few guys that I don't want to get my hands on. Don't want to get my hands dirty with. They're too rich for my blood. Too rich for my blood in Dynasty, baby. Everyone knows one guy whose ADP is rising significantly. Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas is just, he's getting too rich right now. He's getting too rich. Neither Joe Brady nor Matt Rule have ever been exposed or, or used themselves a tight end as the massive asset or the primary target on their offenses. I mean, sure, they have some big-time plays here and there, but their offense doesn't run through the tight end like the aforementioned Falcons. I was just in a draft recently and saw Ian Thomas. It made me scratch my head. I saw Ian Thomas go right before Johnny Smith. That blew my mind. I was like, wait, what's going on right now? Is Ian Thomas really that hot right now? Is he really that hot? He's so hot right now. I don't get it. I think he's a good tight end. Don't get me wrong. But he could very easily be the fourth or maybe even fifth option on that offense as I'm looking at the, the depth chart right now. Yeah, that's, that's not impressive. That's not what I want for my tight end. Just think about what you're doing, people. You're adding in a guy you might start once or twice who won't see regular targets on an offense where we don't know what to expect. That's what we call a roster clog, people. Good news is, is if you have them, you can flip them for like a second round pick right now. And I do that in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Let me be clear though. I do think he's a good tight end. I just don't know how many seasons we're going to see him in the top 12 tight ends when we're looking at that list. 
Sure, you might get some weeks out of him, but I'd much rather flip flip him for like a second round pick and, and go chase a guy with the upside of like A.J. Dillon. You know, Brian Edwards, somebody like that. I'd rather chase the upside instead of get stuck with, with the, I guess, decent floor but limited ceiling. You're never going to know when you can start him. You really don't. Another guy that you don't know when you're going to be able to start, you're going you're gonna to feel sick definitely for, what, six weeks out of the year, Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I haven't talked about him in a while. Why is he going so high up? Can anybody explain that to me? Why is he the QB 10? Really? Really? What? I understand it's dynasty, but come on. I like Baker. I do. But no matter which direction your team is going, I like multiple other guys ahead of him. And in dynasty, oof, I don't know if I can trust him. If I'm building a future, I'd rather have Tua or Daniel Jones. Think about Daniel Jones and weak decision with all those options on offense. I'd rather have them if I'm building towards a future, if I'm trying to rebuild my team. And a fun fact, by the way, Daniel Jones has never played a full game with Barkley, Tate, Shepard, Slayton, or Ingram all on the field together and healthy. That's crazy, right? God, that offense, we've never seen at full power. We've never seen that at Super Saiyan or whatever they call like the, the highest level of Saiyanism. Is that what it is? Saiyanism? Oh, God, I'm going to get some hate back for that. Anyways, if you're trying to win now, I'd rather have Stafford. I'd rather have Matt Ryan. They're both going behind him. I don't know. Think about it. Baker is the best division in football in terms of defense up against the quarterback. They had two top five defenses up against the quarterback last year. And then you look at the Bengals and how they improved on defense. That's six games a season. That makes me nauseous at least, minimum. I should say not at least, but minimum six games a season that make me feel nauseous when I roll him out there. Brutal. (laughs) Absolutely brutal. Then let's go ahead. Let's take that and let's go ahead and say, hey, we're going to throw you on a Stefanski offense, which we already covered. Stefanski, we already covered Kirk Cousins and his 51 pass attempts in the red zone. Stefanski does not like to play around in the red zone. He wants to pound the rock in. That's why Dalvin Cook was, was, had such a high value last year. He wants to give the ball to his running back in the red zone. So we're, of course, going to see regression because Baker attempted 74 red zone passes in 2019. He finished as, what, QB 20? Now I get the other side of the argument. I'm not ignorant to it. I understand that his efficiency could go up. And here come the people with the pitchforks. They added to the offensive line. Their offensive line is going to be so much better. That's great. They needed to do that. I do think that Baker Mayfield has an overall better season than he did last year. But we have to realize that he has to be hyper-efficient if you're going to get any quarterback one finishes out of him. And efficiency is not as special. Sure, he can have some big games, but to rely on him as your QB1 and have him ranked as your QB10 in this division is just asinine. It's asinine. Well, it's dynasty, right? He's still a young kid, man. He was the first overall draft pick. You guys are exhausting. Oh my God, you guys are exhausting. I know I'm talking to myself right now, but I know what you guys are going to say. God, you guys are exhausting. He just has an extremely, extremely tough schedule this year. And following that, it's not going to get any easier. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense is young. The Ravens defense is young. 
the Bengals' defense is only going to get better as they continue to build around Joe Burrow. Like I said, Baker Mayfield's fine. He's fine as a, as a backup quarterback, but to take him as a quarterback 10 is just ridiculous. Stop overdrafting. You have other values out there. Tua is a better option than Baker Mayfield. He has more upside. Sure, he has an injury potential or, or injury possibilities, but he has far more upside than Baker Mayfield does. You have Daniel Jones, who is in a dynamic offense in a really, really terrible division when it comes to the defenses. Daniel Jones' upside is only going to go up as he gets experience and is able to play with these players in a new offense. You have better options if you're trying to win now with guys like Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford who have shown that they can perform at a top-end level. Baker Mayfield isn't going to give you the same ceiling as any one of those guys I just mentioned. Now, when it comes to, to Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, I still like these guys, just for the record. Sure, they might not see as much of the volume. Well, yeah, that impractical jokers thing. Yeah, I just did that. Well, he actually does. They actually do. There's nobody else on this offense. They got a rookie as the third string wide receiver. They got Njoku, who has not performed up to standards, and Austin Hooper, who we don't know what to expect yet. We've seen Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs in a very similar offense both be relevant. We just have to hope for the target share in both Eldell Beckham and Jarvis Landry's case scenario be through the roof. We have to hope that they're getting a 30% target share, which, don't get me wrong, that's a lot to ask for. It's a lot to ask for. 60% of the target's going to two guys. It's a lot, lot to ask for. But I'm thinking that it can still happen if Baker Mayfield plays right and if Stefanski can show that he's an offensive genius. He will get the ball in Jarvis Landry's hand. He will get the ball in Odell Beckham's hand when they need to pass. Stefanski. I really am. And that little hot pocket, that hot commodity, Baker Mayfield, doesn't have to be relevant in order for Odell Beckham and Stefan Diggs to be relevant. He doesn't. And I can understand why he's such a hot commodity. You know, you guys spent high-value picks to get him on your roster. So I understand the people that are mad at me right now that are fighting for Baker Mayfield. I'm just saying he shouldn't be picked as high as he's getting picked currently. Now, another hot commodity out there, Tyreek Hill. Woo! Sure, he goes off. He goes off. He catches fire. Man, that boy catches fire. Monster weeks. He wins you weeks, doesn't he? But he also loses you weeks. Did you play him versus Oakland last year? Because I probably would have. <laughs> Absolutely. But he let you down. Did you play him for Chicago last year? Oh, he let you down that week too. In fact, he let you down 50% of the time last year. 50% of the weeks that he played, he let you down. Doesn't even include the, what, four games that he missed? Four plus games that he missed? <laughs> well, that was last year, right? That was, that was last year. 2018, he was wide receiver one. He was the best wide receiver out there. Yeah. Okay, sure, he was wide receiver one, and he won you some weeks. But he also lost you eight games in 2018, scoring in the single digits. That's not what I want with my wide receiver one. I like consistency, baby, with my wide receivers. I want consistency with my top three or four picks. I'll take shots later. I don't need my, my first pick or second pick in the draft to be a guy that is going to let me down 50% of the time once again. Yeah. Imagine, I don't know, say we pick up a hooker, right? Smoking hot hooker 50% of the time. 
You call up a service and you're like, hey, I need a hooker. Send me over your best whore. And they send you over a smoking hot babe 50% of the time. The other 50% of the time, lights are turned out. The hooker shows up. You're getting all hot and bothered, all excited. All of a sudden, turns out to be a guy while you're pulling down her pants. <laughs> you're already into it, baby. You're already into it. Yeah, you just got fucked. 50% of the time that's happening. And <laughs> yeah, uh, not good. I mean, some of y'all are probably into that shit. I'm not, but there's some people out there that get, get excited about that. I'm not one of them. I'll take my 7 out of 10 hooker 100% of the time. 100% of the time, I want my 7 out of 10 hooker. I want consistency at the wide receiver position. I like stability. There's no way I'm going with Tyreek Hill or even a hooker in that matter, especially one that could turn out to be a dude. You go from hoes and tricks to this trick shot Perryman. Get it? See what I got? Ah! See what I did there? I did that on the fly. Right? Because Rashad Perryman can trick you. He's tricking everybody right now. All right, that was super lame. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. But he really is. I mean, he had like, what, three good games in five years, and all of a sudden, he's valued as an asset? Guys, pump the brakes on Rashad Perryman. Pump the brakes. Nothing is different from his other four years, well, four and a half, four and three quarter years in the NFL. He's really, really fast. We know that. We know that. Jameis Winston loved to throw the ball deep. We know that. I mean, how can we not? He led the league in in deep attempts. He had 7.1 deep attempts per game. God, I'm going to miss me some Jameis Winston in fantasy. I really am. I'm going to miss him so much. So much. But anyways, back to Brashad Perryman. He's now going to the Jets, where he could be the third option, the fourth option, maybe the fifth option on the team. And... News update. Beep, 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 beep. Right? News update. Sam Donald throws 4.2 deep targets per game. Almost three less targets per game than Jameis Winston. For all you guys that aren't math wizards out there. And that's not all. Tell them what they've won. Well, Brashad Perryman, you have just won the fourth worst quarterback in the NFL at deep attempts. Yeah, his completion percentage was brutal. Check this out. Only Josh Allen, Kyle Allen, and Mason Rudolph were worse when it came to completion percentage on deep balls. (laughs) Brutal. Especially since considering two of those guys are actually backups. Yeah, and also that means that Dwayne Haskins threw a better deep ball. (sighs) God. So tell me, how is Perriman going to score points? How's he going to score points? Go ahead. I'll wait. I'll wait. In fantasy football... You have to have the ball in order to score points. Boom, mic drop. Let's get out of here. Oh, yeah. If you guys want to check us out on any other platform, just go to the description. Click on the link. It'll show you every other platform that we're on. It's amazing. Of course, go follow us on Patreon. Go join our circle. And last but not least, go follow us on Twitter. FF underscore intervention, baby. Yeah. Yes. Huge shout out to Fantasy Football Discussion. Love you guys. Keep those questions coming. And guess what? I'm out of here. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you for letting me intervene with your fantasy football life. Hey, my mom told my niggas is dope. Switch up a stove. Pick up a stove. They feeling away. They know I'm the goat. That's how you bang a podcast.